either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. And we're back. <laughs> After a, a week off, hope you missed us. We're back to talk about more movies. Well, one big one. And uh, everything else kind of got out of that movie's way <laughs> uh, this week. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and let's start with a return to Pandora, where Jake Sully lives with his newfound family. Once a familiar threat returns to finish what was previously started, Jake must work with Natiri and the army of the Navi race to protect their home. It's Avatar The Way of Water. We cannot let you bring your war here. Outcast. That's all they see. I see you. The way of water connects all things. Before your birth. And after your death. This is our home! I need you. With me. And I need you to be strong. Disagreement between the yeah, two of us. Yeah, a bit of a disagreement. One. I don't think it's as as big as we had say on Spirited. That right. was a recent disagreement. Right. Because you, uh, now here's the thing. I like Spirited. And this one, I, I agree with you about half of this because basically what it breaks down is I, I still think the movie is worth seeing despite its flaws, and you don't. Correct. That's basically what happens. Uh, because if you didn't know, it's uh, 13 years in the making now, the sequel to Avatar. Uh, James Cameron's been promising this and many others for a while now. So so this one's out. And then if you look on IMDb, they've already got, what, three or four already planned yeah. in, pre- in pre-production. So, so who knows? Uh, but the fact is, it's back now. And yeah, most of the, or I guess all of the original cast, plus some new characters, Sam Worthington and Zoe Saldana, of course, are back as the couple, and uh, they have this family. They have their own child and a uh, somewhat mysterious adopted child. Well, they have a total of three, I think, three of their own children and an adopted child. The adopted child. child. Yeah. And th- this movie really sets the stage for some something about that yeah. uh, the mystery of that adopted child coming later. We don't really get into that too much. Uh, and then you've got some new characters as well. you guys featuring the voices of Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there CCH Pounder? Mm-hmm. And then you have Cliff, uh, Cliff Curtis. Cliff Curtis. Cliff Curtis, that's right. I don't know why I always forget his last name. I don't know. <laughs> and the old threat that the synopsis talked about is Colonel Quaritch, Stephen Lang. Yeah. Uh, but it's not him, of course, since he died in the first one. It's his clone. Right. It's his Navi clone right. is back to uh, get some revenge. So they're hunting Jake, and they come to to find him, and... That's when he decides that it's better for to take the whole family and leave so as not to put his people in danger. And that's what makes them flee to this other, this this water world, because because uh, Jake and his people are the forest people. And then the colonel and all the invaders are the sky people. And he goes to live with the water people in a new village. And that's the one that's really run by Cliff Curtis and CCH Pounder. And as you said... Now, well, I'll, I'll let you make the point about Jake deciding to take the family away from the threat. Because Zoe Saldana's character, 
doesn't want to go. She thinks that it's dumb and she thinks that they're going to track them down anyway, so they should stay and fight. And it is one of many, many instances in a James Cameron movie where a smart woman explains the situation properly and no one listens to her to everyone's <laughs> because peril. Because she is absolutely correct. And the the fight finds them anyway, and that's where the final showdown occurs. After we have much, much exposition of Jake and the family, Jake and Atiri and the family, coming, you know, getting acquainted with and learning to live a new way of life with the water people. So what I think makes this movie worth seeing, you can probably guess, is the technology of it. It looks amazing. And if you're going to see this movie, you should see it in whatever area you're in. You, you probably know what theater in your area has, has the best technology. Go there. The biggest screen, the best Dolby, you know, the, the, all the... 3D if you can. 3D, it, because it does. It looks and sounds Amazing. The action sequences, I think, are the ones that are filmed in high frame rate. Correct. Uh, yeah, and, and that, they look great. Yeah, we've seen high frame rate done before, particularly um, in the the Hobbit films, right? Mm-hmm. And they in those movies, what they it was it was I think not the best choice exactly. because it drew your attention to the staginess exactly. of things. This I've never seen it done better. I mean, it creates a hyper realism to the action sequences right. that is astonishing to your brain because you know they can't really be there because they're giant blue people. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. Yeah, I think they were smart in only doing the action sequences sure. in yeah. in the high frame rate because it's not distracting like it was in in the uh, in the Hobbit. Um, so yeah, I, I just can't stress that enough. That is for me the reason to see this movie. It's it totally immerses you in a in a three hour. It's like a three hour theme park attraction. It's it's amazing. Uh, it it really is. So I give them credit for that. But I do agree with you that the storytelling is poor in every way. So it's three full hours. It, it's a little over three hours, and yet somehow we still have to suffer through a ton of voiceover exposition. Why that couldn't have been shown to us in the course of three hours, I don't understand. And then the other thing is, as, as, as you and I talked about, for so much of what he shows you, he just repeats. Yeah. He just repeats and repeats and repeats almost the same scene three or four times across the film, and you think... Wow, this movie could have been fully 90 minutes shorter yeah, than this. Yeah, story beats are repeated and themes are repeated. And some of the, the themes in the movie, it's not that they're not worthy themes. They are, but they're just clumsily and uh, presented with, with obviousness and some really cringy dialogue. Yeah. Sometimes, especially when he's trying to write dialogue for these teenage characters. Oh, yeah. um, so, yes, and, and, and movies still, they're about telling stories. Yes. And, and it doesn't tell the story well. I don't think so. As much as as impressive as it is in the technical aspects, and this and this comes to the next point of of, of my conflict with it because I'm going to bring up probably that this interview that I've brought up before, <laughs> and movies like this always make me think of it because it gets one step closer to the day that was predicted by mainly George Lucas because I finally went back and found this interview, and I believe it's from 2009. I think the first, actually the year that Avatar came out, the first one. And I thought it was with a group of uh, directors, but it wasn't. It was just Spielberg and George Lucas talking to Variety magazine. And at the time, George Lucas mainly was predicting, and this was back in 2009, that in the future, movies were going to be reduced to basically what a sporting event is. Tickets were going to be $75 or whatever, and they were going to play in theaters as long as a Broadway show, and everything else was going to be streaming. 
And every time I see a movie like this, I think, boy, we I mean, that may be inevitable anyway, because he was predicting that before the pandemic. Right. right? But this I just if this movie is a huge hit, it just makes it more likely and 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 probably it'll it'll bring bring this about bring his prediction about more quickly where everything else is relegated to streaming in the small screen because we've seen here just in the last few weeks and months great movies fantastic pieces of storytelling come out and bomb at the box office what is getting people off the couch top gun so here's what else here's what we were talking about right so so aside from take top gun aside the movies that have made money have been movies like um, well, kind of forever, right? Uh, the big superhero movies that you expect to make a lot of money because young people go to see it. Top Gun made even more money because it was the single movie this year that got people over 50 off their couches and into the movie theaters right. for nostalgia. Right. This movie won't do that kind of business, I think, because the nostalgia is with millennials and they they are still young enough to go. So that's one of the biggest reasons. It's gonna be interesting. That's going that to be movies, very interesting. Like the Fableman's brilliant, wonderful movies bomb is because nothing will get people over fifty back to theaters. It's like, you know, streaming service now and the the pandemic have just convinced everybody over fifty, of which I am Although I still go to movies, obviously. But, I mean, that there's no reason. Why go? The only thing that got them there was Tom Cruise. And he may be the only thing that ever does get them back. But I don't think this movie's going to get them and back. I, it wasn't just Tom Cruise. It was the project. It was. Uh, it was the project and how well it was done. Because it also got, let's face it, the numbers that Top Gun got, that's also repeat business. People going back again. Um, yeah. So that that may be the outlier. But we will see. I, I'm very interested to see the kind of business this this movie does because uh, again that that prediction maybe have been inevitable anyway the pandemic certainly is stirring that along because it showed people yeah i i just like watching it on my yeah. couch and of course we cost less i can it's comfortable right you know <laughs> of course we love the theater experience and it's not that i want avatar to bomb i don't i want all movies to do well i want theaters to thrive but it's just if 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 it reduces it only to spectacle, you know, if people will only come out for spectacle, then only spectacles will be booked in the theaters. It's um, funny, and though. that's what I I'm, I'm afraid of. It's funny though because you you feel like people should see it in theaters, and you're a little afraid that they will. I feel like right. they should not see it in theaters, but I'm a little afraid that they won't because I'm not, because I'm, I I anybody who could invest this much time and effort. Into a film, I can't even imagine what it took to make this movie. And I want it to be a success just because of that, but I cannot recommend the film. See, I'm not telling anybody what they should do. No, I'm no, saying, no. is it, you're asking me, is it worth seeing? I'm saying yes. No, but I Only know. because of the technology, mm-hmm. not the storytelling. And I'm conflicted about saying right, that. Right, yeah. But, but I, I do have to fess up that it is. But I agree with you on the storytelling, and it just, it just brings a lot of things to the forefront um, about the situation with theaters, big screen versus streaming, that was coming anyway. Obviously, these directors were talking about it in 2009, and the pandemic, when people had to stay home, mm-hmm. has only you know moved that closer to reality, and we'll see if a big spectacle movie like this does the same. So uh, it's everywhere, I'm sure. <laughs> it's, it's in all the theaters, but again, if you're going to go... Find the most technically advanced theater you can because that's that's what makes this special. The spectacle of it, for better or for worse. If that's a bargain that we're making that we're going to regret later, we shall see. But uh, Avatar, the way of water out now. 
Well, speaking of small screen and streaming, here's one streaming now on Disney Plus, a documentary, the untold story of the Abbey Road studio with all-star interviews and intimate access to the premises, If These Walls Could Sing. So many massive records were made here. People don't believe that it was just done by accident. From classical to pop, artists are inspired to push creative boundaries within these walls. What are you doing? It's murder. I can't give it up. It was in the forefront of one of the biggest musical changes. The smell of Abbey Road. It's actually the smell of fear. Am I going to mess this up? <laughs> A huge part of my record collection was made in this room. Abbey Road, it's a gift to music. When we made Dogs Out of the Moon, I thought we cracked it. It encourages you to make something moving. The walls are saturated with great music. You know, if these walls could sing. Well, this is the first feature-length project for director Mary McCartney. Yes, that McCartney, Paul and Linda McCartney's daughter, uh, has been a successful photographer and has done some shorts and some videos. And now it's a subject that she is intimately familiar with. One of the first uh, images on the screen for this is her as a baby photographed on the floor of Abbey Road Studios. (laughs) So this is, I mean, you're going to know, obviously, if, if you have an interest in this right away. And if you do, I think you'll find it very fulfilling. It's it's a great epilogue. If you did watch the entire eight hours or so of the Beatles get back here recently, this is going to be a great epilogue because it's only an hour and a half or so, and it's very breezy and entertaining. You get so many great interviews with all the people involved. And you're, you're going to immediately think of, obviously, the Beatles. Pink Floyd are the two biggest names that probably come to mind. And I, I know you love the Pink Floyd segments. Oh, I did. It was great. It was uh, it was really fun to to not just talk, hear them talk about making the two albums there that they did, but to hear them talk about the influence that the Beatles and the album that they were recording simultaneously. Yeah. It was very fascinating to me to hear Roger Waters, who's not known for humility, <laughs> right, to talk about how great that album was. But he then did. also he did. He, he does sound humble in this one. Well, you're right, and he doesn't always. <laughs> he doesn't. But you know what else? I think. Um, I think that you you associate Abbey Road with just a kind of a small number of of massive recordings, but it's fascinating to see. What else was recorded there oh, that yeah. you wouldn't have known? Other big, massive things. Yeah, that's a really uh, one of the big good points about about this because you do get the whole history of the studio and what else has been recorded there, uh, continues to be recorded there. So you get a lot of interviews with, uh, obviously, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr and the members of Pink Floyd, and then Elton John, who he played there early, early on. He was just a session uh, pianist. He played on the Hollies, uh, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, that was recorded there. Uh, and it just goes on and on and on. And, of course, you get interviews with today some of uh, more recent uh, pop stars like uh, the members of Oasis and people like that. They're just big fans and really have a reverence for the building. And it's, 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 it's a fascinating and fun an entertaining documentary and informative uh, for for any music fan. I think it's it's really worthwhile, and especially as I said, if you happen to be a, a fan that watched the Beatles get back, because there's a lot of cross a lot of cross reference in there because so much of that footage was inside uh, Abbey Rose Studios. Sure. But yeah, there's a lot to lot to enjoy that you may already know. And, of course, songs that you probably already know, but there's a lot to learn here as well. And so, yeah, really enjoyed it. It's on uh, Disney Plus right now called If These Walls Could Sing.
Got a foreign language drama next. This is Bolivia's official submission to the Academy Awards. In the Bolivian highlands, an elderly couple has been living the same daily life for years. During an uncommonly long drought, Virginio and his wife face a dilemma. Resist or be defeated by the environment and time itself. This is called Utama. Well, I tell you, this is another movie that brings about a theme that we've seen a lot lately. Fight or flee. Yep. You know, resist or leave. We've seen that a lot, and boy, this really comes into play here in a beautiful movie. Oh, it's just gorgeous. And it's it's a, a minor miracle to me that this movie even exists. It takes its time. Its main two characters are elderly people. Um, the vistas, you know, the, the way it is filmed is so stunningly one of those one of those films where it's breathtaking the beauty and at the same time the sort of ruggedness mm-hmm. the, you know the the formidable oh, aspect it, of of where they live it looks so desolate and almost hopeless uh, but at the same time beautiful yeah it's, it's so expansive and then you know i love the way it's framed because they're llama herders they have the small herd of llamas yeah. that are festively festooned with little, these little pink bobbies in their in their ears. And so every so often in these very dramatic scenes, you'll see all these big long necks crane into the frame, into the frame and bop around their heads. It really resists, um, I think, melancholy or, but at the same time, it's, it's pretty dire what's going on in this. And it's also, it's very allegorical. So, uh, so the main character, Virginio, he knows that he's dying, mm-hmm. and uh, and then there's this sense of what are they going to do? But at the same time, the larger picture is look at this entire society, this whole way of life, and and how it is possibly dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's only ninety minutes, but it takes its time, and yeah. it's a beautiful movie. And this is a writer and director, Alejandro Loiza Grissi, and I hope I pronounced that right. Yeah, very very impressive, and again, another movie. That is anchored in a theme of f- fight or flee, and we've we've got another one coming, I think, next week yes. that we're going to talk about that is really uh, draped in that uh, theme as well, and it's uh, very telling about the times that we're living in. But this one is showing in select theaters, and definitely one uh, another one to catch on the big screen because oh, yeah. you can oh appreciate gosh, so really appreciate the beauty of it, and that is called Utama. Got a VOD entry next: an action comedy when the local mafia shows up to burn down a restaurant. Anna, a chef with a meticulous past, defends her turf and proves her knife skills both in and out of the kitchen. This is called High Heat. Send me everyone you've got. I don't care about the cost. Just make it happen. See you soon. We'll hit him from both sides. Her. It's a her? It's a her. Ah! Can we help you? Past your bedtime. He's tougher than he looks. Well, he looks geriatric, I hope so. It's a little below the belt, don't you think? 
I always love to uh, to quote your movie review titles when I can because <laughs> you do such a good job with them. Fry Hard. Fry Hard this one. <laughs> was the title of the written review on MadWolf.com. Now, be, be honestly, it doesn't have a whole lot in connection with Die Hard, not like uh, Violent like, Night did. It's more like Taken. Yeah, more like Taken, just the, the fact that she has this particular set of skills that come into play. But but there is a little bit of that, the fact that she's the one that's that's left behind, that they didn't count on, the bad guys didn't count on, and she's going to fight her way out. But the point is, it's pretty forgettable until it gets to its side dishes, which are a couple of secondary characters. When they come in, they really up the ante on the fun. This is director Zach Golden, writer James Peterson. I believe it's the first feature for both of them. And it's Olga Kurilenko, who plays uh, Anna the Chef, and her husband, not her dad, her <laughs> husband is Don Johnson, and the husband's name is Ray. And they have, it's the opening night of their restaurant, and uh, everything is going well until the mafia goons show up, and they want to get paid back for Ray's enormous debts to them by burning down the restaurant that night and collecting on the insurance money. Well, that's not going to go well, going to go over too well with the chef. And so she starts dispatching the hitman right away, and then the big boss, uh, Dallas Page, the former wrestler Diamond Dallas Page, uh, he has to call in some mercenary reinforcements, and the fight, the fight begins. The fight continues, but she has uh, oh, Anna has someone to call as well, and that's her old partner in the KGB because that's what her past is. She worked for the KGB. Her old partner Mimi, and she brings along her husband Tom, and their teen twin daughters. <laughs> They're all coming to help or maybe hurt because Mimi's still pissed that she got ghosted. But the point is, once that really nutty family comes in, <laughs> then there is some fun to this movie. Mimi's played by Caitlin Doubleday, and Tom is Chris Diamantopoulos. And they're fun, because he you can tell they're having problems in their marriage, and he's trying to get in touch with his feelings, and he keeps repeating advice that their therapist has given him, and she doesn't have time for it. M meanwhile, the girls are in the back just on their phones, can't believe this as the shots are flying. So they're fun. <laughs> Other than that, the movie is instantly forgettable. And it made me think by the end of it, I mean, because Don Johnson and, and Olga, they really don't have any chemistry to speak of. And there is one joke made about him being so old. But but the other two, uh, Caitlin and Chris, Mimi and Tom, they do. They've got the chemistry. And so by the end of it, I thought, you know what? You do have something here. Retool it as maybe some cable-ready episodes of 30 minutes or so. And this could be fun with the other couple. Do you know that the the number one rule of writing fiction is your most interesting character has to be your lead. If your most interesting character isn't your lead, you have to rewrite what you're writing. Well, there you go. That's what I'm that's what I'm <laughs> proposing. Uh, and also a shout out to Jackie Long, who plays Gary, uh, a, a mafia masseuse in way over his head. He's fun, too. He's fun, too, when he gets mixed up with this other couple. But, yeah, they make it they make it worth seeing. Uh, and you'll get a few chuckles out of it. Other than that, instantly forgettable. Uh, and it is on VOD now called High Heat. And one more on VOD. When Japan surrenders at the end of World War II, soldier Hiru Onoda retreats into the jungles of the Philippines to continue the war himself for another 10,000 days. This is called Onoda, 10,000 Nights in the Jungle. <laughs> Well, 
Well, this is one of those stories that you wouldn't believe, except it's based on true events. Yes. Amazing. It is amazing. And, you know, when you hear that, this man was just, he, you know, for 27 years after the end of the war, he continued to fight the war sort of on his own. It almost makes you laugh. Like, it's so absurd that it almost, it's like to distance yourself from the tragedy of mm-hmm. that kind of a wasted life, you almost want to laugh. And well, so, it, it, it makes you think that if, it was, if this was dreamed up by a screenwriter, it would probably serve itself best as an absurdist comedy. Yes, I think you're right. But so, you know, my hat's off to filmmaker Arthur Harari for for not not doing that. Right. You know, um, and it's funny. It's a long movie. It's it's about two. It's a, it's a little over two and a half hours. Of course, you know, it's covering 27 years. So that makes a little bit of sense. And he really shifts. I mean, he goes. Tonal shifts can be hard to mm-hmm. do, but mm-hmm. his, he does it quite masterfully from a war film to sort of almost like a like a it almost feels like a post-apocalyptic kind of dystopian you know where they're survival film to sort of a not a buddy comedy but definitely kind of a bromance kind of a film in every shift it's so well done these performances are magnificent the 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 cinematography is also really exceptional and then one of the great things about in the very end he's found in the end by a japanese tourist uh, a clearly very wealthy guy mm-hmm. who, you know, on his bucket list, one was to find the soldier, one was to find a Yeti. I mean, and, and he means that quite seriously. Right. He just wastes his money flying all over the world trying to find these unfindable things. And he actually found this man. And so he brings like vodka so they can cheers with each other. And he's such a dumbass. And this man is so he has completely convinced himself that the war isn't over and that he is still meant to be fighting until his unit comes back comes back for him and the dynamic there is so heartbreaking and then the 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 tourist as he figures he's it's like it dawns on him really the the gravity of this situation and the only way that onoda is going to return is if his commanding officer shows up in person and tells him the war is over. Right. Otherwise, he's been trained to yeah, disbelieve yeah. what he hears. It's so moving. It's such a um, a remarkable way than this man's quest to get this guy back there. A, a remarkable way to end the this journey that you've taken. It's quite a long film. It's mm-hmm. a big commitment, but it, it repays you. Yeah, and amazingly, based on based on true events, and that is on VOD now called Onoda, 10,000 Nights in the Jungle. And with that, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Well, we were off last week, so that means the schlocketeer was off last week, too. But he's back and ready in the lobby. So what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What's new? Well, first up, I've got a trio of movies that people can watch right now. Um, Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All is now available to view on VOD. And then there's two that just hit HBO Max, the first one being Dwayne Johnson's DC superhero movie Black Adam, and then also Martin McDonough's The Banshees of Inishir, and both are available to stream right now. So and that is, one of, that is one of the best yeah. of the year. I haven't seen it yet, so that'll be appointment watching for me this weekend. There you go. Um, Sony has pushed back the early limited release of their Tom Hanks film A Man Called Otto to December 30th. Its wide release date is still the same, um, mid-January for the wide release, I believe. Okay. Sony has also removed their horror film True Haunting from its January 6th release date, um, no doubt in an effort to get away from Megan. Uh, they haven't announced a new release date yet, but 
running away from Megan, which <laughs> are, I think that might all? be what all of us want to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Body at Bright Rock Director um, Roxanne Benjamin's latest horror movie, There's Something Wrong with the Children, will premiere on VOD on January 17th, followed by a streaming premiere on MGM Plus on March 17th. And just a reminder, MGM Plus is a rebranded version of the app Epics. Oh, okay. So not something new, they just changed a name. Okay, good to know. Hobo with a Shotgun director Jason Eisner returns on January 20th with the uh, sci-fi horror comedy Kids vs. Aliens, which from the looks of it is actually a feature-length expansion of his VHS2 segment. Oh. And, um... Uh, yeah, and that one's going day and date on VOD, on Shutter, and in limited theatrical release on January 20th. So okay. easy to find it. Yep. Um, Neon has set some sort of uh, theatrical release for Brandon Cronenberg's latest film, Infinity Pool, on January 27th, but it's not clear exactly how wide it will be going. That one looks crazy. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. IFC Films has moved up the release of uh, Christopher Smith's latest horror film, Consecration. Instead of hitting theaters in June, it will now hit the big screen on February 10th. And that's that's the guy who did, um, what, Creep, Black Death, and... Oh, uh okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a giant killer shark movie that stars Josh Lucas called The Black Demon, hitting limited theatrical release on April 21st, followed by VOD a month later on May 22nd. There will never be an end to shark movies. <laughs> nope. Never. <laughs> Keep them coming. Uh, Warner Brothers has moved up the theatrical release of The Flash by one week to June 16th. Probably not a coincidence that they did that shortly after the Indiana Jones trailer dropped. Right, yeah. Some more space. Sure. <laughs> um, June 16th, we'll also see the theatrical arrival of Wes Anderson's latest movie, Asteroid City. It'll first rely- arrive in limited release on the 16th and then expand wider on uh, June 23rd. He's been cranking them out lately. Yeah. I believe he's already shooting another one beyond this one. Wow. And finally, um, Sony has set a June 23rd theatrical release for their comedy No Hard Feelings, which stars Jennifer Lawrence, Natalie Morales, um, Eben Moss Backrack, and Matthew Broderick. All right. Well, you can always catch up with the latest news. Follow Daniel on the socials at The Schlocketeer. Thanks as always. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week, well, Christmas weekend, so it's going to crank up a notch, a notch or two. Next week we get, uh, well, a few movies that we've actually already seen and can't wait to talk about. The latest Puss in Boots, was it three? How many have there been? I don't know. Okay, well, the latest, <laughs> the latest Puss in Boots episode is next week. Also, Babylon. Also, The Whale. Women Talking. Uh, the Whitney Houston biopic, I Want to Dance with Somebody, is next week. Corsage. Joyride. Wildcat. And one, oh, one we got to see at Nightmares Film Festival this past October. Scare Package 2, Rad Chad's Revenge. That's all next week. But what do you think about this week? You want to talk about Avatar? Is it a bargain that we want to make? Or you just want to go and enjoy, uh, let us know. And if you love the story, let us know, too. We always love to keep the conversation going. Uh, easiest way to find us is on Twitter, at least for now, uh, Mad Wolf, at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only a podcast called Fright Club. New episode just dropped, by the way. That's right. Uh, when we were talking about the best of John Carpenter. Indeed. So get into that conversation as well. You can always find uh, all of that at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Hope you're having a great holiday season. And until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but... 
I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>